Hey guys, it's Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Lauren Garoni. Welcome to another episode of Every Outfit. Lauren, I have a question for you. Yes. Were you silent or were you silenced? I mean, there are times in my life where I've been silent and there are times in my life where I've been silenced, but now is neither of those times. Yeah, of course, we're still talking about Oprah's interview with Meghan and Harry. As a huge Oprah stan, it was so amazing to see her do a big celebrity interview again and not one that takes place on some terrifying dystopian Apple TV set where she's interviewing Barack Obama remotely. Did you think it was weird that the first moment of the interview, the first quote unquote revelation is that was an obvious lie, which is that Megan has never Googled Harry? Yeah, I mean, I just want to preface this by saying I'm very much team Megan. It seems like the monarchy is really, really sus. But yeah, she did. The first thing out of her mouth was a complete and utter lie. Of course she Googled Harry. As an American, you'd have to Google Harry. You'd have to Google, like, how close is he to the throne? Now we know he's sixth in line because we've been doing nothing but talking about Megan and Harry all week. But before that point, I didn't know that. She didn't know that. I also thought she lied when she said that she claimed to have not remembered the first time that she like curtsied in front of the queen. She was like, I blacked out. No, you remember the first time you met the queen. Well, she also remembers everything before. I think what we're learning is she had this sort of Hollywood hubris, which I suppose we would as well, unless you watch the most recent season of The Crown, which I know you haven't, Chelsea, which is like, oh yeah, in private, you do have to curtsy. All that public shit you do for the queen, you have to do privately too. I mean, I'm on The Crown season one, which I'm only getting into now because my wife hates the monarchy, despite being from a Commonwealth country. So I'm getting into it now. But yeah, that curtsying shit is intense. That first, I think of the first episode where she has to curtsy in front of her, or she sees her grandmother curtsy in front of her. And it's like the most terrifying thing. I feel like a lot of heartbreak could have been saved if someone had watched The Crown. Oh, another thing that was weird. Well, I wonder if you thought it was weird. That part where she was like, I just love rescuing. It's a weird phrase. Like, okay. So she rescued a dog she, she then, rescued the chickens. She rescued the chickens. She, and she rescued Harry. She rescued Harry from the cult that he was born into. He did seem, I think Harry came off the worst one because there was no clarification from Oprah to him of like, you didn't warn her about what this was going to be about. I mean, he looked to be a man mid-deprogramming from a cult. And I don't think he necessarily has the perspective to give the kind of interview that he did on Sunday. Totally. Well, I don't think he had the perspective going into the relationship with Megan. He was probably like one of those people that's like, yeah, my family's chill. And then when she gets there, she's like, oh, this is not fucking chill. And her allegations were incredibly disturbing. But I've always felt a kinship with Harry because he was born two days after me. So my mother and Princess Diana were pregnant at the exact same time, basically. So Virgo energy? Exactly. But because I know that, I just have to say, he looks a little rough for his age. He shouldn't look that rough. I feel like he looks like he's like 15 years older than me. Even though I haven't been exactly diligent about, you know, not smoking and drinking for most of my adult life. 
I think that's also just British jeans in in general. Obviously, yeah, their jeans are shit. He's balding. It's all the inbreeding. He's definitely like hotter than William. Who knew that would happen? Prince William was one of those like hot 90s twinks like Leonardo DiCaprio that's just like aged in a direction that is just really confounding. Have you seen that meme that they show a photo of William at 18 looking gorgeous and it's like Diana saw that he started acting like his father and snatched those jeans away? Anyway, let's get to the bombshell. So basically, Harry and Meghan, over the two-hour interview, laid out a narrative that what forced them to leave was a years-long racist campaign in the press and seemingly inside the institution against Harry and Meghan and Archie. I mean, who's surprised by that, though? You know that moment where Meghan Markle is saying that there was concerns about the skin tone and Oprah, like, audibly gasp? What? what who's having that conversation gail later asked her about it she was like oh i didn't gasp because i was surprised that they're racist i was just surprised that megan was actually going on record about this oh yeah part of oprah's interviewing style is a performative thing for the audience oprah grew up in segregated mississippi she knows about racism it occurred to me when i was watching it that i think maybe a lot of gen z people more associate oprah as being a media mogul and a wellness guru than a journalist and I feel like this was a really this was a great reminder of how masterful she actually is as a journalist and how good she is at making really good television and I hope that after this I hope that this continues you know we need a Britney Spears interview I'm sorry now that you've had a few days to think about it who do you think was the one who said what color is the baby gonna be prince charles is the most obvious answer i think because we all expect the least from him right i hope it was prince charles and not prince william and in a conversation with Oprah afterwards, Oprah regaled to, to Gail on Monday that he wanted to make it clear that it was not his grandmother or his grandfather who said it. And I, I was like, oh, so that it's definitely Charles. But today, William was out with Kate. And of course, some interviewers ran up and they were like, have you spoken to your brother? Are you racist? And he said, we are definitely not a racist family which is not a good statement because we know that is clearly not true. And then he also said, I haven't spoken to my brother yet, but I will. Dude, it's been almost a week. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, call your brother. Clearly, clearly he's crying out for help. Actually, he's saying that they need help. I thought one of the most shocking parts about the interview that didn't seem to get that much attention is when he inferred that both his brother and his father basically couldn't leave. Yeah, I thought it was so weird. The interview was driving towards this this narrative that they laid out wonderfully, which was, this is a racist institution. There's no changing it. We had no other recourse to leave. However, in the last five minutes, they were like, oh, if they were just nicer to us, we would have stayed. What? Look, I, I believe that Harry would have been completely content to just do random tours of Australia and New Zealand and whatever else royals do for the rest of his life. But I don't think Megan actually wanted that existence, although she did claim to. Anyway, I can't wait for two seasons from now when like Zendaya and Donald Gleason play them in The Crown <laughs> season six. 
Perfect. So as Fashion Week was wrapping up in Paris, it was overshadowed by a truly unforeseen fashion event, which was Lady Gaga posting a photo of herself and Adam Driver from the set of the upcoming Ridley Scott Gucci biopic. She was wearing a fur hat. He was wearing a fisherman sweater, and it was all very campy. Chell, you understand this is my Super Bowl. No, I know. I'm just like so excited that Lady Gaga and Adam Driver are playing a couple. Like I was a big Star is Born stan. And so this just seems even better than that. Yeah. And also it's like it's set in the 70s and 80s, which is a really amazing period for Italian fashion. I'm so excited to see the costumes. So to get into what the plot of the film actually is, Gaga is going to play Patricia Reggiani, who was the ex-wife of Maurizio Gucci, who will be played by Adam Driver, the grandson of Guccio Gucci, who started Gucci. Um, Wait, his name was Guccio Gucci? (laughs) No, it wasn't. it It was not. It is. Wow. Anyway, they were a lovely married couple until he left her in the mid-80s and then in the 90s when he was going to potentially marry said mistress, she hired an assassin to murder him in 1995. As you do. As you do. The same year that Tom Ford debuted his iconic Gucci ready-to-wear collection. Wow. The film is based on a book written by Sarah Gay Forden of the same name, House of Gucci. It is being directed, as you said, by Ridley Scott, who some of you may know is the dude who made that Matt Damon astronaut poo potato film. <laughs> oh. The one where Matt Damon was farming in space. I love that movie. Uh, well, what's No, but what's actually your favorite Ridley Scott? That, I feel like mine's probably obvious. It's really obvious. Thelma and Louise? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, I like, th- like I'm not gonna say Blade Runner. Yeah, I would. I guess I would say Blade Runner for those who aren't familiar with Ridley Scott's work and maybe are wondering why an 80 year old white man is directing this. He is one of the best visual stylist directors out there. Before he became a film director, he directed a thousand commercials, most iconically the 1979 Chanel Number no. Five Share the Fantasy commercial. Which one was that? It's where the woman in the bathing suit is by the pool, and then somehow the shadow of a jet goes over the pool. Oh, okay. Blue yeah. skies ahead. Love that. Chanel number no. five, share the fantasy. I get the I get the John Paul Good ones mixed up. But anyway, the project has had a long lineage. Actually, in 2006, Ridley Scott was going to do the film with Angelina Jolie and Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, also incredible casting. But that fell through. And then in 2012, his daughter was going to do the film with Penelope Cruz. And then, in t- most recently in 2016, Wong Kar Wai was going to do the film with Margot Robbie. I mean, that sounds really fab. It does. But I think the timing has worked out perfectly because Lady Gaga and Adam Driver actually bear a striking resemblance to the two people they're playing. Do they? Yeah. I'm just excited because we haven't had a good fucked up fashion movie in a while. The last one was probably Phantom Thread. Chell and I saw that together because we were both alone on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Is that really what we did? Yeah. What a perfect Valentine's Day. Actually, it was. Getting back to the the real life story, Patricia was convicted of killing her husband or hiring an assassin to kill her husband. She served 18 years in prison and was released in October 2016. Oh, God. I hope they age her up. Oh, my God. And show her behind bars. Oh, I absolutely. Like some Julianne Moore in the hours shit. 
There's a great anecdote I found, which was she was she had the option to go to like an open air prison in 2011, but you have to work there. And her quote was, I've never worked a day in my life, so I'm not going to start now. (laughs) Wow. What a legend. I also can't wait for the press tour because there is no more lugubrious Gaga than Gaga promoting a film. Can you imagine all the Gucci? Anyway, Chell, happy belated International Women's Day. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Every year it's a holiday I really look forward to celebrating. Well, as you know, with each quasi-social justice-related day of celebration, there will be invariably corporations who try to ride that viral moment and fuck it up. This year it would be Burger King who sent out a tweet from their UK account that read, Women belong in the kitchen. This was then followed by another tweet explaining, Only if they want to, of course. The tweet was meant meant to highlight the fact that only 20% of women are professional chefs and that they would be awarding culinary scholarships to women. This, of course, did not go over well. I don't think it's that offensive personally. It's more offensive because the joke did not land. And And that tweet could have been all together. Yeah, exactly. Even though it was part of a larger tweet thread that provided context, it's like you can't tweet that. That's literally insane. People log onto Twitter just to find things to be offended by. And you know it was a larger... They can't hide behind, I was like, oh, the social media manager in the UK. No, the UK tweet went up first before the US. It There was a huge outcry, so they deleted what they were going to post on the US account. But they couldn't stop the print ads in the New York Times that they had paid for already that said the same fucking thing. And in huge letters said, women belong in the kitchen. And then in small text, the explanation, the context. The copywriting could have been funnier. Like, I believe that you could still use that sort of women belong in the kitchen line and have it land. It's just they didn't go with like, JK, that's fucking insane. Right. Some language that just makes light of like how loaded of a phrase that is in 2021. And maybe a burger franchise shouldn't be the one that's dealing with such a loaded phrase. Well, you know, it's sad because Burger King is just coming in hot off of that fabulous rebrand. I don't know if you saw. I believe I showed it to you. It is a very Chelsea rebranding, very 70s. Yeah, it's really fab. I've actually been meaning to go to Burger King. Well, we do belong in the kitchen. So (laughs) speaking of social media fuck ups, did you see what Cindy Crawford posted on her Instagram for International Women's Day? No, because I do not follow Cindy Crawford. But yes, I have heard. I mean, you explain what happened. To explain, Cindy posted a throwback photo of herself with Linda Evangelista, Christy Turlington, Naomi Campbell, Lauren Hutton, and Amon. Except it wasn't a photo. Fo- it wasn't Amon. <laughs> it was Beverly Johnson. And someone, I assume a now-fired social media manager, tagged Amon instead of Beverly Johnson. As someone that works in social media management, this gives me severe anxiety. I know that Cindy Crawford can distinguish between Beverly Johnson and Amon. This is the perils of outsourcing your social media is when shit like this happens, they blame Cindy Crawford. But I also just love when people post hot photos of themselves on International Women's Day. Like that's kind of what it is. It was like a hot photo of Cindy Crawford and then like some other models. You know, we're pretty good with fashion photography, but I had never seen that particular photo before. So I was like, where is this from? And it is from, it's an outtake from a 1993 TV Guide cover about supermodels on television. Oh, that's random. It's super random. When was Lauren Hutton on television? 
We should note, for those who don't know much about Beverly Johnson, she was the first black model to appear on the cover of Vogue in August 1974. Yep, she's a legend. What other problematic things have happened this week? So last Friday, Alexi McAdman, a political reporter for Axios, was named the new editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. Within days, Diana Sui, editorial director of Infatuation and former fashion director of The Cut, brought to light previous anti-Asian tweets that Alexi had made over a decade ago. Well, I'm sorry, but 2011 isn't that long ago. That's what confounds me about people with these tweet scandals where they have problematic tweets from 2008. It still wasn't socially acceptable to say stuff like that in 2008. I remember I was there. For those who don't know, she wrote, thanks a lot, stupid Asian TA after she received a bad grade. And another tweet said, Googling how to not wake up with swollen Asian eyes. That's really racist and embarrassing. So the tweets were first uncovered in 2019, of which she deleted them and apologized, calling the tweets insensitive but not outright racist. This, of course, comes at a time where there had been a surge in anti-Asian attacks. Most recently on Sunday, an Asian Uber driver was harassed by a racist passenger who pepper sprayed him and coughed on him when he asked them to wear a mask. And then on Tuesday, a 75-year-old Asian man was left brain dead after being the victim of a violent robbery. So was it Mark Wahlberg again? Ooh. Sorry. That was a really disturbing throwback, but... Uh, Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, Google that. You know, I think the fact that Teen Vogue is even still in existence and hasn't just turned into, like, a podcast or a direct-to-consumer box of some sort is commendable. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It should be some sort of beauty box. I mean, I'm just surprised that they don't vet people more thoroughly. You mean Condé Nast? Yeah, particularly at Teen Vogue, which is now synonymous with woke Gen Z media. It's hard to fathom that this billion dollar publishing monolith like Condé Nast, who has had very recently their asses handed to them for problematic editor-in-chiefs, didn't do a more thorough Google search. Like, just type in her name and problematic. Look, on one hand, I believe that even people with problematic tweets should be able to work, but this just doesn't seem like a good look for anyone. Yeah, were there no other unproblematic 30-somethings who were qualified, or have they all become influencers? Probably, yeah. This is also a, a just a bad month, not only for Alexi, but also her boyfriend, TJ Ducklow, who resigned last month from his job as deputy White House press secretary after telling a female reporter he would destroy her if she pursued a story about his relationship with Alexi. Jesus. Anyway, Team Vogue were available. Actually, no, we don't want that job. Who wants that job at this point? When I was younger, I would have died for that job. But now it's like I I can't imagine why anyone would want to be the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. I guess we all have become influencers. Yeah. All right. Fashion month. Do we want to start with Chanel? Chanello. Chanello. Let's talk about Chanel. I actually don't even have that much to say. Chanel, for better or worse, it kind of is the same every season. Even though Karl Lagerfeld died, it's still exactly the same somehow. I didn't love the styling of this collection. I don't understand why a Chanel collection has to involve beanies. Apparently, it was partially inspired by the late Stella Tennant, who was a Chanel muse, but they didn't cast any androgynous models, so that concept never really came across. It just seemed like kind of normal basic chicks in parkas. You know, Chanel shows are usually spectacles. It's easy to understand why this season it was not 
not. But regardless of the designer, whether it's Karl Lagerfeld or Virginie Varad, who's now the brand's artistic director, beyond the tweed jackets and beyond the like last three looks, which are like red carpet gowns that Margot Robbie will wear to the Golden Globes or Cannes, what is the point of Chanel ready to wear? Well, it's clothes for rich ladies. And that's that's fine. They need these clothes. They love this shit. They, they need- can't get enough of it. They love it so much that they're literally, they're like, this is my look and I'm literally never changing, no matter what. Well, there's your answer about why there's tweed beanies this collection. But those old rich ladies aren't going to like style a Chanel suit with oversized slouchy beanie. Like it's just not happening. You know who it's for? It's for the Upper East Side lady who wears Chanel and is like, I need something for my granddaughter and then buys her that beanie, which she then sells on the real real. Yeah, you're right. That's that's the correct trajectory of that. There were a few nice fun fur suits that were a throwback to 90s Carl that I'm sure will look really fab on Dua Lipa. Beyond that, didn't really speak to me. But I didn't hate it. Obviously, there's beautiful. There's always beautiful clothes in any Chanel show. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Karl Lagerfeld was still kind of designing these from the grave or something. I imagine him like coming to this chick at night like the Phantom of the Opera. Or do you think Virginie Varad and the design team just goes to Lagerfeld's cat that he left everything to and show, shows him, <laughs> you know, shows the cat sketches and the wherever she pet puts puts her little paw on like one or the other, <laughs> yeah, and like pisses on the ones that she doesn't like. Speaking of what to do with venerable design houses, should we get into Scaparelli? Generally speaking, I don't like Scaparelli. To me, it's very gimmicky. Because it's Scaparelli, the concept of surrealism is built into the DNA of the brand. But the way that Daniel Roseberry interprets the concept of surrealism is very basic to me. He'll make a corset that has the contours of a male chest or a pair of gloves that have fingernails. It's very by-the-book 1930s surrealism. It's never like cool, like when Thierry Mugler or Margiela riffed on that theme. It was a very titty centric collection very boob centric looks well also it was not just boobs it was severed boobs it was again silence of the lambs shit oh yeah it was very ed gein everything had breath of breasts on purses breasts on coats uh i won't lie i did like that bowling bag leather purse with the two titties yeah that was kind of cute but it also kind of reminded me of the micro trend of feminist shirts that have boobs drawn on them or there's like those bath mats that everyone has that have boobs on them like I did enjoy the the denim backwards suit, but to your point about very, you know, a college student understanding of surrealism. Well, these clothes make sense for Lady Gaga and Kim Kardashian, and that's kind of it. Do you feel like there are some designers who just are not suited for certain seasons? When I think about Versace, I think they're more of a summer-spring collection. I feel like they're fall yeah, winter yeah. collections. It, it, don't. Is, it is it is more of a spring summer brand. The 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 thoughty Italian Euro trash concept does not really translate to winter. I understand that, you know, that genre of people need winter coats and such, but Well, yeah. I mean, I liked the Versace show. I'm not as obsessed with it as I was their previous collection, which was the one that repurposed all of those sort of ocean-themed scarf prints from the heyday of Gianni Versace. This collection was very much, it was a very 70s by way of 90s kind of look. All the models were wearing headscarves, you know. Sure, but how did you feel about like the first 20 looks that were a weird Bobo Goyard Fendi ripoff? 
Okay, yeah, that's so. This in this show, they introduced a new monogram, which was very Goyard. It had these interlocking geometric forms. It, it also it also looked kind of like a David Hicks textile. It was just very sixties, seventies kind of vibe to it. I I will be curious to see if it takes off. My guess would be no, but right. Most venerable fashion houses actually started out as accessory or luggage companies that became ready to wear companies like a Prada and Versace is the opposite of that and the profit centers of most luxury companies are through their accessories and they don't have a signature bag or accessory or something and so they're trying to invent that well I actually like that Medusa bag that they've been hawking for the last I don't know how long I think it's you know I went into the Versace store recently and I was actually surprised by how nice the accessories were it's not my particular vibe the overall Versace aesthetic isn't my personal vibe. Well, actually, I'm continually surprised at Versace's ability to rein in its own tackiness because it could have <laughs> very easily gone the way of a Cavalli or right. gone in a really disturbing, overly branded Euro trash, like a Philip Pline kind of aesthetic that we're seeing from a lot of these trashy brands. And by the way, when we say Euro trash, we mean then the most positive. Is Euro trash a slur? I like, don't... are we going to get angry angry reviews in the the european app store this kind of goes back to what i was saying about dolce and gabbana last week which is the nostalgia for dolce and versace are at such a high point that if they truly had just redone collections you know from fall winter 1998 i think it would be one of the best collections of the season Look, there were beautiful clothes and there were definitely looks that harken back to the 90s, particularly that section of in the middle where there was like three brightly colored mini dresses yes. that very much evoked the heyday of Gianni. Also, I feel like these clothes really benefited from Pat McGrath's makeup. She did these really dramatic, matte, brightly colored cat eyes that all the models had that looked really cool with the headscarves. And I actually, I really liked the shoes. It was a unique silhouette. It was a very squarish clunky 90s oversized kind of platform shoes it made all the models look like brat dolls if i've noticed any trend over the paris collections it's this après ski thing going on that i saw at like miu miu and vuitton i liked miu miu a lot that collection was largely inspired by skiing attire, so there was a lot of puffer jackets and pants and big puffy gloves and furry boots, and then there were studded slip dresses and crochet pieces that felt more quintessentially Mew Mew. I'm surprised you liked it because you will never find either of us on a ski slope ever. It's true, but we do wear puffer jackets, and there was a lot of pieces in the show that I can imagine actual people wearing because normally Mew Mew shows are like Alice in Wonderland shit that you can kind of only really imagine on like an L fanning. Whereas this, it's like I could wear this puffer jacket and not look completely fucking crazy. They also brought all the models to an actual ski slope and made them walk. Which was cool, especially during the pandemic. It's like, why aren't more people shooting these lookbooks and doing their shows in more fabulous locations? Jack Moose has done that quite successfully with a couple of their shows that have taken place in like wheat fields and shit. It was also styled by Lada Volkova, who's most closely associated with Balenciaga, and she did a very good job of making the clothes look cool. 
Shall we discuss Vuitton or is it pointless? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy to get into it. Well, first of all, I know that we should be pronouncing it Louis Vuitton. Vuitton. But I'm not French, so I'm just not going to bother. I mean, I'm a fan of Nicolas Gesquier, particularly his work from his tenure at Balenciaga in the late 90s and the early 2000s. This collection had a lot of great accessories and out outerwear. I really liked the oversized silhouette in general. That said, when I look at the head-to-toe look that he's imposing on these models, I can't imagine an actual woman who wants to dress like this. That's been my problem with his work at Vuitton. Vuitton. Which is, I'm not sure who this is for. I, I enjoy saying that, you know, he designs for basically Jennifer Connelly, who is his muse. Like, these are clothing that only looks Only good. makes sense on Jennifer Connelly. Absolutely. But actually not even, because usually those Jennifer Connelly pieces that he does are like bandage mini dresses and stuff like that, or like military jackets. But I think he's really entered into this aesthetic that I could only describe as, I guess, like 80s futurism which is yeah. a very weird specific look that no one else is really doing except for sometimes jw anderson clothing has never been their strong suit it's not their profit center it's probably not the reason that they brought him on board and so i guess they're just allowing him to struggle through some sort of thesis on 80s futurism design well the accessories that he's designing are great right no that's my point this man can design a handbag they're still producing those motorcycle bags that he made for Balenciaga in the early 2000s, I think. They actually recently introduced a more structured version that I think is really cute. But I digress. I know we weren't planning on talking about this, but did you see the Givenchy show? I saw a bit of it. I mean, it's not good. I don't like the guy that's designing it. Givenchy has had a fraught history with their creative directors. I don't know why Ricardo Tichy left. He should have just stayed there. But he had to make Burberry a fuckboy brand. At least the current creative director seems to be bringing back some things from the McQueen era, like those horn heels that they did last season that were McQueen Shivanshi, but I don't know. I just don't care. The more noteworthy thing about this show was that the setup was really fucked. The models were walking in this cavernous black space. They were walking in water, which I feel like I've seen too much recently. I feel like Balenciaga just did that quite recently. And then in lieu of a front row, they had these giant LED screens with Kate Moss and Kylie Jenner. Can we can we agree to not do this? I, I understand that public- It looks like that Oprah Apple TV show. <laughs> I understand by spring, summer 2022 collection in the fall, I assume people will be back in the front row. But if they're not, can we agree not to do this LED audience? Yeah, we don't need it. Well, if there's nothing left to say, that means there's only one more segment left, which is either our most reviled segment or people's favorite. All right, let's let's get into it. Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. So much Kardashian news. What do you want to start with? I think we should start with the page six article that broke yesterday. Right, which is that Kim and Kanye are no longer on speaking terms or speaking directly to each other because Kanye has changed his number and I assume not given it to Kim and she has told him to only contact him through security. Yikes. I mean, I feel like that's probably good for Kim's mental health anyway. 
Like, does she need to be talking to this guy? There are enough handlers to deal with the logistics of sharing custody of these children. Yeah, and they debuted a new Kardashian series finale trailer and have hinted that the final episodes will get into the Kim-Kanye divorce, or at least the beginning of it. They fucking better, because if I have to just watch episodes of Scott pulling weird pranks on Kendall, or are Chloe and Lamar going to have another baby, it's like, I don't really care that much about that. I find it interesting that another through line of the last season will be will Courtney and Scott get back together, which I find very bizarre since we know that they're not because they're in relationships with other people currently. They've been using this our Scott and Courtney getting back together drama to promote the show for how many seasons now? I mean, pretty much ever since they broke up, honestly. I'm over that. We need we need some fresh new plot lines. Well, don't hold your breath. It's the final season. I know. It's sad. I'm really, I, you know, I'm also really sad that we didn't get tickets to that oh, Kardashian drive-in event in LA. That I'm so angry about that. I saw Kim post about it within 20 minutes and I went to the link and it already had sold out. Very depressing. I guess we're just gonna have to watch it together in so our terrible. regular places on a boring couch. More about Kim. She finally watched the Britney Spears documentary, which inspired her to talk about her history of being bullied by the tabloids when she was pregnant with North. She posted all of these old tabloid covers that had unflattering photos of her and then headlines like, I can't stop eating and I'll never be sexy again. And my first thought was, this is terrible, poor Kim. And my second thought was, I need to buy those on eBay immediately. For those who don't know, because why would you? Chelsea is a, well, we both are avid magazine collectors, but recently Chelsea has pared down her collection to only collect magazines by theme. And I do have a Kardashian collection, although I hadn't started it at that point. So there's things I need to retroactively go back and get. Like I need to get that Kim W magazine with the Barbara Kruger cover also. Maybe we'll do an IGTV of your ma- of you unveiling your magazine collection. No, I don't want everyone to know that I have all those like really problematic Caitlyn Jenner tabloids. Speaking of Caitlyn Jenner, did you watch the video I sent you, which is... <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner has a YouTube channel, and this week she debuted uh, 10 Things Caitlyn Couldn't Live Without. Yeah, and it starts off with things that are like my Kylie eyeshadow palette and like my Oribe root touch-up spray. And then it just kind of devolves into like golf. And then it, number two is like my kids. But you know what number one was? Uh, no, what was it? Number one was Caitlyn's gal. I think gal pal may actually be an accurate descriptor here. Sophia, Sophia Hutchins. Hutchins. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant she was going to say her sunscreen, which is another preoccupation of hers. She just said, number one, the person she couldn't live without was Sophia. That was the number one thing on her list. And Sophia came out. You didn't even get to the end of the I'm not going to lie. I watched three of them, sent it to Chelsea, and was like, great, we'll talk about it. For, I think, at least a few years now, Caitlin has been living with this woman named Sophia Hutchins, who's a hot, blonde, 24-year-old trans woman who started some, like, invisible sunscreen company that she seems to be forcing Caitlyn to promote yeah she's like forcing Caitlyn to do like random TikTok content she lives with Caitlyn in Caitlyn's house she's insisted on multiple times that they are not a couple but watching them together it reminds me of that same weird one-sided sexual tension that Anna Nicole Smith had with her assistant on the Anna Nicole Smith show 
Oh, her but- assistant that was like a lesbian that was obviously just like in love with her. Not to be confused with the weird one-sided sexual tension of Anna Nicole Smith and her lawyer, Howard K. Stern. Well, that, that's another example. But it's, it's like that kind of vibe. So they live together. They live together. Uh, you know, apparently Sophia said in a recent interview that she had to get a lock installed on her bedroom door because I guess like Caitlin barged in when she was fooling around with some guy. What kind of sleeping with the enemy shit is this? I know. The whole thing is very odd. I don't want to say that you can't have a platonic life partner that's like 40 years younger than you, but it's a weird vibe. It's also because they take, they go on red carpets together, which is typically only reserved for couples. You don't just go with your best friend unless you're like, I don't know, Busy Phillips and Michelle Williams or some shit. So you and I won't be platonically walking down a red carpet together? Okay, well, we work together, though, so that's a different kind of thing. That's all we are? I thought we were so much more than that. Fuck off. (laughs) So anyway, pray for Caitlyn and her unrequited love and her Lumisol sunscreen. Do we want to get into... I just put in the document Chloe's face. Do you want to get into that? (laughs) Like, there's, like, no further explanation. Yeah, Chloe... Well, she deb- debuted a new face. She week. debuted a new face when she was really debuting her collaboration with Ipsy, a, a glam bag ex Chloe thing. But all the promotional images, she looks. How do I say this? I don't want us to be total cunts. Like, I don't want our podcast to be just tearing apart people's looks like Joan Rivers. But she is doing that same thing to her nose that Lil Kim did. Look, they all get plastic surgery. They all get fillers, Botox. That's fine. I have no issue with that. Same boo. (laughs) But what I can't comprehend is this is obviously her aesthetic because they have the best people doing work on them. So for it to look fucked means that is Chloe being like, this is what I want it to look like. Well, you know, dysmorphia is real. I mean, that's the other thing. That's why we're really trying not to be cunts because I think it's gone (laughs) from having a little touch up here and there and the ability to have a new face, which, and the tabloids were so mean to her for so many years about her Yeah, it's like Kim thinks she had it bad for like one pregnancy, but Chloe was just like shit on for years. So I understand the impulse but it seems to have gone over the line into dysmorphia which is so sad because obviously chloe is love chloe love chloe chloe's the best she is the best i mean chris is the best but oh what is our ranking for me it's chris kim i love chloe's personality i might even like it more than kim but kim gives us so much more than chloe in terms of just general output that's true. Chris gives us the most because she created everyone. And then I guess... Kendall? Ap- yeah. Then Kendall, Kylie, Kylie Courtney. MJ. MJ. <laughs> Courtney. <laughs> Any assistants we've ever seen that have brought the, sal- the salads in for lunch and then Courtney. Yeah. I just like don't... <laughs> I'm just... I'm not, I'm not a, a fan of Courtney personally. She doesn't do it for me. She's the least interesting to look at. Okay. To clarify, well, if anyone's listening to this segment, they know that iconic. They know that that Kim referenced at one point during a a huge fight they had that she was the least interesting or exciting. The least interesting to to look at. at. Which is like nothing truer has ever been said. She could have just stopped at interesting. But actually, Courtney is the least worked over 
And I Correct. respect her for that. I re- I actually do respect her for that. She, everyone else in her family has gone to insane places with work and she still looks very natural. And I think that that's probably the most interesting thing about her. That's true. She's the most, she's actually the most interesting to look at the least likely person we'd want to have a conversation with though. Yeah. Like if I was trapped in an elevator with Cordy, I'd kill myself. That seems a little harsh. I mean, you well, can survive we run a couple out of floors. talking about like Mason and Penelope. Then what are we going to talk about? Poosh. We're not talking about poosh. <laughs> All right, guys. I guess that's it for Kardashians. Yeah, I'm going to torture Chelsea by showing her the poosh website right now. All right, let's do it. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.